Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. words. All right, so today we are continuing our conversations about The Lord of the Rings, and we've been having so much fun with this. So go back and listen to the other episodes if you haven't yet. <laughs> Uh, but today we're going to be talking about influences and kind of the things that influenced J.R.R. Tolkien and kind of all the ways that he pulled from other myths and stories and things like that, because clearly he did. Yes. And so we're excited to kind of dive into that and the ways that things that we can learn from that, like that we don't have to come up with everything original ourselves. Absolutely. And I, I think sometimes that original idea gets so paralyzing and we think of all these great stories that were like these were original concepts Mm -hmm. but we talked about it before how I do think that we have things that stick with us and come out in stories and I think that's as it should be Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's anything out there that's truly not inspired in some way from something else and I love that we can very clearly see some of those things that inspired him. It kind of is that hodgepodge of things that kind of come together for stories that you can kind of go back into. And one of the things I wanted to start out with is actually he talks about um, in his forward to the second edition, he actually talks about it. And Mm. it really, it was fascinating to me. It's in my copy of the Fellowship of the Ring. It's, It's a set with like, I think it's the Silmarillion, the Hobbit, and all all three of the series mm. together. And he talks about, is it an allegory? Was there a message? And he's like, well, no, other than the book itself. And he's like, I meant it to be applicable to others and their mm. experiences, but I wasn't going for any specific message. Yeah. Which I like that he directly kind of addresses mentioned that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think it's always interesting to hear what an author thinks about their stories, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to read one part from that section um, where he says, an author cannot, of course, remain wholly unaffected by his experience, but the ways in which a story germ uses the soil of experience are extremely complex and attempts to define the process are at best guesses from evidence that is inadequate and ambiguous. And I liked that too that it kind of we can look at this and even what I'm about to say here when I'm not an expert on Tolkien I've like taken one class and yeah. and obviously done some research in advance but there's so much of that that just happens in the mind where our mm-hmm. brain just takes things that it knows experiences that we go through and brings things together in ways that we don't even comprehend we mm-hmm. do- we can't even say what our influences are. So in yeah. some ways, we know that this is imperfect, but I think it's kind of cool to go back and say, okay, where did some of his ideas come from? Even to create this very original idea that was his, yeah. he, he did have so many influences that were very direct. Yeah. I love that you point out that this is imperfect because you're right. I think we can't really know exactly what those influences were but and he can't either but I think we can pay attention to what we see in it and 
the connections that we want to make um, or that we can make with other stories and with previous work. Yes, absolutely. And it's interesting. I thought, I thought one of the ways we could start with Mm -hmm. this one was actually the class I took, which is on Beowulf. Yeah. And (laughs) old English. I would love to hear more about that. I haven't ever read it, but (laughs) it's a hard read. It's it's a really hard read. Especially, um, I read it like to myself mm-hmm. in the classic old English, and I wonder if it was read to me instead. If I had mm. done an audiobook, if that might have made it a little less torturous, <laughs> because some of that was just trying to figure out how to say the word mm. that was there and how to like also check what out the, the pronunciation meaning at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had my dictionary out of trying to figure out what they're trying to say and, you know, like dragon, the old worm and like all Mm. of those wonderful things in the old English that are just really challenging for for the way we approach language. There's a lot of things that are just tough about it, but Mm. it is a fascinating story and there's so many crossovers and there is evidence that he really liked Beowulf and he talked about it in other areas, not necessarily in reference to this, but yeah. it, it contains mead halls, cups, things that are very much reminiscent of Rohan and how mm. they live as people. It's kind of very much horses and kind of in those places where they're all together. That's mm. where um, kind of a good portion of the story takes place. There's Basically, there's this monster named Grundle that is disturbed by all the merrymaking of these people and basically comes and slaughters them. And Beowulf has to kind of defend his people. But it's interesting because Grundle is very similar to Gollum in many ways. He was originally a man. Like There's a lot of kind of, even though that part isn't <laughs> really transferable, there's a lot of similarities to the slow change from man to monster um, and kind of the more complicated than just an evil creature. Like there's a lot of complexity in that character, even from the setup of that it was because he has such sensitive ears and the, it was, you know, like the sound was driving him crazy. I can relate to that. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's super relatable. (laughs) And so I just think that's kind of an interesting way of like the humanizing of the person who becomes cursed. Um, Hmm. That's definitely kind of felt in Gollum. There's also the kind of sequences where he is forced to kind of go up against a dragon, which is called a worm. And that's Hmm. very, you know, there's very much a lot of dragons that are in kind of north myth- norse mythology um but i believe that it's the first reference to dragons um was actually in beowulf or at least in in yeah at least huh. written that way um hmm. they don't use the term dragon they use worm sure. um but that's kind of where they spring up for the first time is from interesting those type of stories um, which I thought was very fascinating, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of the etymology of that. Um, and then there's also um, the naming of swords, which I always found a little funny and weird. And they, they do that a lot in 
in like in Beowulf, it's part yeah. of what their culture and kind of what they do. Um, so so that's there's a lot of overlap of symbols, a lot mm-hmm. of I mean, we could definitely probably dive in even farther, but um, I don't want to go too far yeah. down that road. But there is a lot of similarities with Beowulf that kind of cross over. And then that mm-hmm. brings up the Norse mythology because there's a lot there too when you yeah. say more generally um, yeah. the Norse mythology like dwarfs um, were first even mentioned with with a uh, you know dwarfs with an f he decided to like change both dwarfs and elves to <laughs> like taking the f and making it a v which uh-huh. is first in his book in Tolkien's book which I find funny but I like that. I like that he then took this element and made it his own. And yeah. kind of. I love something. when when writers do that because yeah. it makes it like I don't have to when it's like a completely made up word, then I have no context for it. Mm-hmm. But when it's like just a little bit of a spelling difference or something with something I already <laughs> know, then I have this context and yet it still feels like a part of the world building, if that makes sense. It feels, it's maybe a little lazy, but I love it as a reader. <laughs> because it gives it a different life Um, and in fact actually the first like when it was first published the the printer made changes to make it f like yes and he's like no this is wrong and so like he went through for the next edition and was like all of these need to be corrected (laughs) i love that i i love that because it also shows that he very clearly had his vision and wanted and had that it was intentional motivation yeah. that it's like this needs this is incorrect and it needs to reflect that mm-hmm. and I love I love that you said that that it's funny how a small change can actually recreate something and make yeah. it new and fresh and different yeah. and and even that small letter change definitely does to me even like when I think about it I think of Tolkien's elves differently and I yeah. think of Tolkien's dwarves differently than I think of other stories mm-hmm. um you know like your your Snow Whites and you know I I just and even your fairy tales that yeah. have elves um I just think of them differently as kind of their own unique group mm-hmm. um which, which I think setting them apart and kind of showing that difference is is a great strategy yeah yeah I love that there's also I found this amazing I didn't know any of this before I started my research for this conversation but there's actually a Norse myth um, about Loki taking a golden ring from the dwarf um, Andvari and when he takes it it's then cursed to basically destroy anyone who possesses it and so this is Norse mythology. And huh. there's this whole trail of blood that follows it. And that feels so like yeah. <laughs> the opening scene with the arrows in his back. And just the trail of, even if it's not blood, but the trail of like leaving people yeah. or creatures as husks of themselves. Yeah. Um, that felt really like, it, it felt almost too similar yeah (laughs) on the nose yeah (laughs) to to really think that it couldn't be connected and connected to that story is also a character um named Brunhild 
um, who is a shield maiden, um, who's kind of part shield maiden, part Valkyrie. Um, and I just, as I was reading, I thought that that felt very Eowyn like, uh -huh. and I'm not saying that he didn't, it was inspired by it, but I just found it interesting that it was tied to that story too um, of Loki and the rain. Yeah. Um, That's so fascinating. <laughs> it really was. I That just again, like proves that idea that there's nothing original, you know, like yes. I think we just get so caught in that. Yes. And we make it like, so we can't, Oh, well there's someone who's already done this or, Oh, this right. is based on, you know, like this is this myth. I can't do it. It's too similar, but yeah. it's just not true. <laughs> It absolutely isn't true. And in fact, I think we do ourselves and everyone a disservice when we tell ourselves that lie yeah, and we don't yeah. challenge it. And I I do think that it should be used. Like we should yeah. kind of go off of the things that we like and connect with. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's one of the good things about fairy tales. Um also in his introduction he talks about how he kind of was a child of fairy tales and war um because he was in world war one mm. um and how those things kind of combine together like his actual experience and being in those two things kind of combined together to create this kind of who he was and then yeah. that kind of led to some of the stories that he wrote yeah and yeah yeah, I, I think that's so important, like that we do bring our experience to the things that yeah. we hear and know. It does make me think, though. So I recently heard the story of an author who basically people like turned against her because they said she had copied another story and reading like so a friend of mine had kind of read the descriptions of both stories and had read the books and was saying like the descriptions are like scarily similar yeah. but the books are different and and yet people just totally turned against her and and were like you copied this and I just I don't know I think sometimes we're a little too quick to judge that too because yeah, yeah so the description's similar so the plot's similar so Loki stole this ring that's very deadly you know like yeah. so what the story is still different um, and everyone brings their own experience to the story they're telling, yes. and that's what changes it. Absolutely. And I think even if you use the same ingredients, yeah, by the nature of who you are, yeah. you'll write a different story, even if it's... Yeah. Uh, that, makes, mm, that makes me very sad. Yeah, because I think it sometimes is sad. We look at things from that superficial lens, right? We don't yeah. get to the meat of what the story really is because the superficial is easy. Yeah. <laughs> you need to, to be like, oh, this is this and this is that. And this is similar. But I think when we actually have to take the story in and then take another story in, we really get to see yeah. that however similar on the superficial, on the surface, surface yeah. level, no, no story really is the same unless you're just literally sure taking it and, and like writing the same thing yeah and and I I do think that makes it really difficult when you kind of look at how we write look at how people receive our work mm -hmm. because I think anyone at any point in time that could happen to yeah um potentially Mm -hmm. because um, it's interesting I was listening to actually Ron Howard's um, 
masterclass. And, you know, everyone says how many stories they think there are. And he's like, I, I really think there's only one story. And I think we don't, we don't tend to go back to that and realize that foundationally stories, stories are kind of, they, they reflect things that came before just naturally like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what stories are and I mean I I don't necessarily I think that there are definitely patterns in different Mm -hmm. stories that you can map on and kind of I I find it hard to say that there's only one story but (laughs) even if there's more than that I think remembering that stories have there's still not as many as there are books out there right like there are thousands and thousands of books being published I mean even every week like so there's definitely not that many stories (laughs) and it has those common features and it's interesting because we're about so next one of his influences Mm -hmm. is Greek mythology which is everywhere and that's it's interesting because there's so many things that it's like oh this is borrowing for that and you're like side note they're all borrowing for Greek mythology that's you know thousands of years old and it, and I think reminding ourselves of that too that some of the things that we think are new or have mm-hmm. been done with just this book even yeah. as we're talking about the Lord of the Rings a lot of these things that we're talking about our hundreds of years before yeah. <laughs> we're looking at but even for him he had George MacDonald he had um how oh, uh William Morris um who they kind of were some of the trailblazers in fantasy and fairy tale and mm-hmm. and so you kind of forget that but there's yeah. there's those links between it and in fact with Greek mythology um actually um Greek philosophy there's a parable of like that's a conversation between Socrates and one of his kind of mentees named um, Glaucon and it's the story of the ring of Gyges it's a shepherd who basically stumbled on um, I believe it was a cave where there was a giant sleeping Hmm. and this massive treasure and he finds this ring on his finger and takes it. And this ring can allow him to turn invisible. (laughs) He takes this and slowly over time begins to use it to the point that he gains more and more power. He finds himself as a messenger to the king. He ends up seducing the queen and getting them like both to kill the king and becomes king himself. (laughs) And it's about justice and it's a conversation Plato wrote about it um it's a conversation that's talking about you know justice the human experience why do we choose justice why you know in what situations and if we were without consequence hence the invisibility what how would we act mm. and the obviously the search for and the invisibility kind of as I was going through it I'm like oh that's interesting but it's so different than the Norse tale even who knows if the Norse tale with Loki was inspired by this which was you know Mm -hmm. um, 
because there's so much of those stories that were like passed around before they're written down. There's, sure. there's so much of that. But I just found that fascinating that both in Norse mythology and in the like philosophical Greek culture, there's, there's something about a ring and the power and how it corrupts and can destroy you. Yeah, I didn't know either of those stories. That's so fascinating. <laughs> There's also TED Eds on them, so I will link them into the notes because uh, that's actually how I found them, which was yeah. fantastic. But there's also other Greek mythology, you know, things like Arachne, the giant spider, who mm-hmm. Shalab, you know, it is originally kind of more like not just giant spider without a mind she kind of is more of like a has a mind and a will and a she possibly I think from the story she's actually like the sire of a a a demon um Mm -hmm. within the world and so has kind of this this will of her own which is fascinating and there's you know the story of Arachne and how it was a woman who was turned into a spider in Greek mythology um and then kind of even just those quests um Mm -hmm. you know in myth yeah how you know the labors of Hercules you know Psyche who has to go on her quest um to kind of go through these series of labors um in order to get through a goal and yeah and it definitely has that overlap with this this is definitely a quest story absolutely (laughs) yeah it it just that's fascinating all of it (laughs) just so interesting to me I love um I mean you and I have talked about this before but in Neil Gaiman's masterclass he talks about this like compost heap and kind of just throwing everything on the compost heap and how we take all those influences and those things that we've heard and known and the stories that we've heard before and um and our experience and it all just gets broken down into a mess and then then we can pull from that it it creates this dirt that we can then grow things in and grow new things um that still feel original because there are like there are so many similarities in Lord of the Rings to other things but yes. it does still feel like nothing else of its time, right? Like yes, it still absolutely. has this feel that feels totally unique. And even after, I mean, we get that same feel with like Harry Potter, which clearly pulls a lot from Lord of the Rings. Um, and from other others of these kind of same types of stories. But they feel unique because it's that compost heap again. It's like all the other things combined and something new that comes out of it. And I wanted to mention just one final thing as we talked about it um because i was curious since there's a talking creature in this um or at least a creature whose mind we jump into and has a language Hmm. um it's a fox in the shire um which blew my mind as i was reading it again it just i'm like oh that's odd but i wanted to see where the first like iteration of a talking creature was Yeah, that actually goes back to Aesop's fables. And obviously, technically, they're writing about the same time, but they were in the same writing group. So C.S. Lewis obviously used it too um, in Narnia. Um, And you kind of then have those links between those two as well. Yeah. (laughs) Where they're kind of inspiring each other. I just found it funny that there was talking creatures in both um, Mm. both C.S. Lewis's work and in Tolkien. 
Yeah, that is interesting. I I love how I love how they wrote together, <laughs> but yeah. also I love how different <laughs> like their stories are so different. Yeah. Um, and yet, yeah, you can totally see how there could be some some influences and some um kind of spurring on of each other. But I love that. I think sometimes in writing groups, we think that we have to have people who are writing the same types of things that we are. And there, there's benefit in writing the same t- types of stories yes. and genres and because you do influence each other for sure. But yeah. there's also a lot of benefit in having people around you who are writing things that are very different um, because it does introduce you to other things to add to the compost team, right? Yes. And like just Absolutely. a new way of looking at things or different perspectives on on your story. All right. Well, we hope that you enjoy this and um, and that you've kind of been encouraged by the fact that go ahead and write things, even if they seem similar. Um, just add your own spin to it and your own voice and your own experience. So we hope you keep reading and writing and putting your work out into the world.